So today is the Feast of Pentecost. And I, I was at a, a kid's birthday party, actually a princess party yesterday. And, and one of the dads who knows that I'm a pastor who goes to another church around town says, what do you preach on tomorrow? I said, well, it's Pentecost, probably the Holy Spirit. He's like, what's Pentecost? So I, I don't... I don't assume that everyone knows that, but today is a day about the Holy Spirit. One might consider it a little strange to devote a whole day celebrating someone that's usually kind of skittish about being recognized. You see, the Spirit is the wind. It's the, the breath of God. It's, uh, he's been referred to as the shy member of the Trinity. The Spirit is always pointing to the Father and to the Son, always going, binding together. The Spirit, sometimes in the history of the church, has been conceived as, as the very glue, the bond of love between the divine community. To celebrate the Spirit, then, is like throwing a birthday bash for an introverted wallflower, right? But we don't just celebrate the Spirit on Pentecost, but the event, the phenomenon of Pentecost. When the Spirit mightily descended upon Jesus' followers in Acts 2. It says, when Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven like the howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. And then they actually understood each other. This Pentecost tempts us only to think of the Holy Spirit in these powerful extroverted terms. Isn't that what the Spirit's kind of doing here is extroverting these people, turning them out to one another? The Spirit voices in loud tongues, and it speaks of this polyphonic, this different-sounding unity. The Spirit breaks in open upon the heavens and descends like a dove. The Spirit is a roaring, mighty wind. The Spirit parts the waters of baptism. The Spirit is in the hallelujah shout and the kick drum thump. We don't have drums today on Pentecost. What is the problem? It's this sort of intoxication, if you read, if you read uh, down in Acts 2, the sort of intoxication that would make some stranger wonder, are they day drinking or are they filled with the Spirit? You know? We're dazzled by the Spirit. We're a little scared, though, by the Spirit. We're, we're enamored by its freedom and its uncontainability. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know from where it comes or where it is going. It's in John 3. I think, I think this recognition, how unwieldy the Spirit is, leads us into another temptation. It's a temptation, along with so many of our friends and neighbors, to, to go kind of the, the spiritual but not religious route here. After all, wouldn't it be arrogant to tell the Spirit where to blow, to try to map the Spirit? 
The Spirit's so unwieldy, it seems like whether we choose to deal in greater certainties, that that, that means we'd rely less on the Spirit, or, or that we just be okay with ambiguities and kind of turn off our motivations to know more, to grow deeper. Today, I want to consider a picture that Scripture gives us of the Holy Spirit. It's a little different for some of us. It's this picture of the Spirit as a friend, as the friend. I assume everyone in this room has had at least some experience with friendship, maybe bad friendship. While some of us have a hard time describing our experience with the Spirit, we might at least be able to understand how our best friend got us through a season of change or grief. Or how having our friend at our side exponentially increases our joy and our pleasure that we might have experienced alone. In John's Gospel, as Jesus prepares his friends for his absence, he promises his presence through the friendship of his Holy Spirit. To consider the Spirit as a friend or as a companion, the word here is paraclete, which means something like one that's called to one side, is to radically reconsider how our lives of faith and discipleship work. I think to consider the Spirit as a friend is to to dive headlong into the deep waters of grace because friendship is where gifts are given and gifts are received. Friendship is where trust is developed, where there's comfort when there needs to be comfort and when there's challenge when there needs to be challenged. Friendship's where we're remade into people. We practice becoming people fit for union, fit for intimacy. If you have friends, you're not going to be lonely. You're not going to be disconnected. You're not going to be isolated. So in John 14, starting in verse 15, I think we have a slide for it. Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. This companion is the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, that'd be awful if if you had the same name as a guy like that, and you're like, Judas asks, Lord, why are you about to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, Whoever loves me will keep my word. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever doesn't love me doesn't keep my words. 
The word that you hear isn't mine, it is the word of the Father who sent me. I've spoken these things to you while I'm with you. The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I told you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I give you not as the world gives. Don't be troubled or afraid. You've heard me tell you I'm going away and returning to you. If you loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than me. I've told you before it happens so that when it happens you will believe. I won't say more to you because this world's ruler is coming. He has nothing on me. Rather, he comes so that the world will know that I love the Father and do just as the Father has commanded me. Get up, we're leaving this place. This is God's word for God's people. So right off the bat, Jesus reminds his friends that love must have content. That love is more than a feeling. Love is an obedience. Love is an ever-forming habit. It's a lifestyle of fidelity. For his friends to love him, whether in his presence or in his absence, for us to love him, we must do what he says. Trusting in Jesus as Lord means slowly and imperfectly coming to the concrete realization that the small details of our lives matter, that what he's commanded us must seep into all these little cracks. Because it matters, and, but also because it's actually what's best for us. Sometimes, to, to draw an analogy from the garden, sometimes this feels like being watered. It feels refreshing. Sometimes it feels like being fertilized, like we're growing fast. Sometimes it feels like being pruned. <laughs> sometimes it feels like we're just being ripped out of the ground of our own understanding and transplanted into the new soil of obedience in God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It can seem either like an insurmountable task, keep my commandments, or if you don't trust God, it could seem like a power grab, right? I will ask the Father, and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. If we read on, we realize it's not a power grab. We're offered help. We're offered friendship, companionship. We're offered a gift from the Father who gives good and perfect gifts. We're offered divine presence, ongoing divine presence. This companion, this Holy Spirit, is our gold standard now for friendship. When is the last time you thought of the Holy Spirit that way? as a friend. After all, like any good friend, the Spirit of God is with us, with us in our weaknesses, with us in our uncertainty, with us in our loneliness, comforting us when we're alone, calling us out of the ways that we destroy our lives and into new life, offering forgiveness gathering up our scattered and incoherent thoughts and presenting them to God, the Father, 
letting us cry in our weakness, letting us cry, Abba, Father. I wonder sometimes if, and I wonder this on my behalf, this is, this is something that I am learning, that adults these days are, might be plagued with lack of this sort of friendship. I wonder which comes first for us, shallow or non-existent friendships or lack of intimacy with God, right? I think one feeds into the other. I think the former flows from the latter. Ask yourself, as an adult, following, and some of you are still in school, and that's great, but following school, following high school, or if you went to college, or, or following some kind of um, like similar social uh, experience and, and time in your life, how many friends, how many deep friendships do you have following that? deep friends that you didn't grow up with, or deep friends that you have since moving here, for, for many of you? How many people that aren't your, your family or your spouse uh, in your life, is there, is there a, a mutuality? You know, like, we're really good, at, especially, and I was this, especially um, when you're in a time of your life when you're a, a student or a young parent, you're really good at either giving a whole lot or taking a whole lot, um, but mutuality is harder to come by. That back and forth, and that's what a friendship does. It's, it's a back and forth where you could confess a fear or failure, where you could break down and cry on a shoulder, where you could ask a question and be ready for an answer that might be completely different than what you were thinking. A friend is someone you drop everything to be with, even in a relatively minor crisis, right? Because you know they do the same for you. Someone who trusts and relies on you, who'd miss you if you just kind of didn't show up. This is the sort of relationship that Jesus is setting up with his disciples. He says in John 15, I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends. It's everything I heard from my father I've made known to you. It's a relationship that he'll perpetuate. He'll keep going by giving his spirit. It's a, and, and this spirit has known friendship this is the thing. Next, next Sunday is, is the Feast of the Trinity, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this. But this spirit has known friendship with the Father and Son from eternity. That is, that is who the spirit is, is a friend of the Father and the Son. It's hard for us to even tell how amazing of a gift this is and what a guarantee of Jesus' presence this really is. You see, I think we're used to some kind of loss and resolution, like, a copy of a copy, right? When, when Jesus gives his spirit, it's like, mm, that's okay. That's, that's, that's like a hologram of Jesus for us, you know? It, but I always think also of, uh, like, when you try to triangulate friends, there's a Seinfeld episode where Jerry um, is not with Elaine and George, and all of a sudden, Elaine and George don't realize they have anything in common without Jerry. Like, they can't even talk to each other. It's really awkward. You know, or like, imagine like one of, one of your dear friends uh, is going to move away and you're mourning them and they say, well, that's okay, let me set you up with this other friend, 
this mutual friend and that'll kind of solve your problem of me not being here anymore. You'd lose the presence of that friend. Something would be lost, but that's not the case with the Spirit. The Spirit is no stranger. While the Spirit might be wholly unfamiliar to the world, to that cosmos that's unacquainted with the intimate friendship of Jesus, those who know Jesus will know him because he dwells with us. He inhabits us. As we read this in John's Gospel, I can't help but think that this is a similar process in which the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or I'm fond of quoting the message as paraphrased, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. After that radical act of tabernacling, John's gospel is replete with Jesus' homemaking among his followers. He asks them to do the same to him. It's this patient sort of abiding that flows from and works towards intimacy. An image that we get in the next chapters of the vine and the branches, dwelling with and being in. The Spirit will make his home with you by being in you. The Spirit will make his home in you by being in you. This radically remakes us. It remakes us from slaves to sin. It, may, it remakes us from those who have been orphaned by death, by disobedience, into sons and daughters. That's who you are, sons and daughters, made that way by the spirit of the living God. I think the church has generally, consistently done a decent job recognizing those like real orphans, those without mothers and fathers, and tries to give them aid. There's orphanages all over the world set up by religious nonprofits. But I wonder if sometimes we don't go far enough in stepping into Jesus' promise to not leave us as orphans. That we don't personally enter into that as, as that we're not going to be ones without a heavenly father. I was struck by that fact this week um, while I was praying for a friend. His friend, he doesn't really know how to be a son. I don't think any of us truly, deeply, in our very bones, know how to be sons and daughters of a good father. Due to his past, he doesn't really even know what friendship is, I fear. That it's more than someone that you have an affinity for, but it's someone who makes a vow to you. And, and the vow is hardly ever, like, explicit or, or verbal. But it's a vow that over time and through experiences, there's going to be a faithfulness to you. That friendship is sacrificial and that, it's, that friendship is, it aims us. If we're not aimed at it, it, it turns us. Sometimes it turns us 180 degrees towards flourishing, towards flourishing together. That the best form of friendship connects us to and brings us into God's life. God's life of grace and abundance and forgiveness and holiness. So Jesus promises his disciples, he promises us this 
homemaking spirit. This homemaking spirit who's going to reconstitute us as a family. That's going to offer us the love and the care and the guidance and the discipline that we need to be family, to be friends. It's going to offer us a, a lineage from the past. We're not going to be orphans. It's going to offer us an inheritance in the future that's going to connect us to this Father who gives good gifts. The Spirit has turned us from only children, and I love that. You don't normally hear the plural of only child very often. It's going to turn us from only children into brothers and sisters. That's what church is. That's why following the Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's what church becomes is this family, the spiritual family with our elder brother Jesus who shows us the way, who includes us in his joy, who enlists us in his actions. And the Spirit also makes us friends. Makes us friends with God. Makes us friends with each other. The Spirit makes us willing and able and available to open up our lives to each other. It makes us courageous enough to stick around when you have to show someone something which you're really ashamed of. The Spirit gives us courage to just stick around. The Spirit gives us the steadfastness enough to hang in there when you've been hurt. Because that's the thing with friends, is like friends and, and loved ones also know you well enough to actually hurt you, like more than just a glancing blow. But the Spirit makes a steadfastness, makes us steadfast to hang in there. The Spirit makes us honest enough to speak the truth in love to our friends and have that truth land well, even when it's not really spoken with the timing or the tone that you would have really liked. That's the thing about the truth. Uh, I, I think Flannery O'Connor says, the truth doesn't change according to our ability to stomach it. Yeah. This is the sort of intimacy that unites us as friends and family in Christ. It's a paradox of, of it. It's a, the paradox of the triune God that the Spirit might become inseparable, one, mutually indwelling while still being, uh, that the Spirit, in the Spirit, we might become one, and we might become inseparable, and we might mutually indwell while being exactly ourselves, distinct and diverse, united in our diversity, diverse in our unity. The Spirit renews our humanity. It doesn't cancel it out. And our humanity becomes more and more of the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is, true, is to be truly human. And we might be found in Christ, clothed with him. It's this intimacy that Jesus describes in like mystical language that it, it seems just like a tangle. I and you, you and me, I and the Father, us together. And I think this sort of talk kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. It might even make us blush a little bit. 
I think we're uncomfortable about this. I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Because this sort of tangle messes with our need for some sort of escape hatch, some sort of exit strategy. You see, this sort of intimacy ruins our illusion that our world, that, that our world has so carefully cultivated. Uh, if any of you are on social media, I think you know. Like, it's this illusion that we can shrewdly adjust our privacy settings on our life just to the right amount of intimacy in order to let someone know you or friend you or follow you in a way that lets you kind of control the terms and gives you kind of a kill switch if it all gets to be a little too much. This is the logic and lure of social media, that we can build networks of acquaintances that know us and even, quote, like us for our best image of ourselves, our most curated images of ourselves, our most vetted opinions, our best edited quips. Like, a quip that you've edited four times is not a quip, right? There are times when we think, man, I'm, and, and this is, this is confessional here. There's times when I think, man, I'm spending way too much time looking at or caring about a screen. I think I'll fast from this whole scene, right? But then I, I, I'll do that for a little bit, but I'll fail to rehab my life from the very logic that I'm trying to avoid here. Like the screen is not the problem. The connectivity is the problem. When is the last time that you've replaced or repaired some unhealthy virtual habit by actually making room for taking steps towards real life intimacy? An honest relationship with a real person who the Lord might be calling you to share in a friendship, which might be like a, a human friendship that might be like a sign or an instrument or a, a foretaste of, of the divine friendship that's been given us in the spirit. When's the last time that that's happened? Like, that's the discipline of, of, of quitting these things. It's not just to quit them because uh, they're bad, at, but it's to quit um, what, they, what they form in us and, and, and what we go to them for. It's always curious to see the ways that our culture chases after this sort of intimacy. Another way many of us look to satisfy this desire is through uh, disordered sex, through disordered relations. Whether it's a string of casual hookups, and that's another sermon for another time, that there's no such thing as a casual hookup. Or maybe it's an addiction to pornography. Intimacy finds its outlet in so many misshapen ways, and we often ignore these distortions at our peril. There's a pastor in London named Johnny Grant. And he wants to relocate this intimate relational focus back in the center of our lives following Jesus. He says, attending to people's sexual and relational lives is a critical part of the journey of discipleship because we are connectional beings. We are connectional beings. Given Jesus' description of the intimate life with the Father and those who trust on him by the Spirit, that we are connectional beings, 
seems almost like an understatement, right? Find a friend. (laughs) First find the friend, the Holy Spirit, to confess to, to repent, to make changes, and and find a friend, a real-life friend, a flesh-and-blood friend to share in this sin and to lead you into renewal and holiness. Finally, if all this feels a little overwhelming, if it feels like you need to hurry off and make a bunch of new friends or, or maybe get rid of all the friends that you currently have or deactivate your accounts or completely renovate the current friendship, like this could be really unbearable. Like I could see a way, like, if your spouse is in nursery right now, like mine, to, to like, after potluck, be like, okay, we're getting rid of all of our friends, we're getting new friends. But if this seems kind of overwhelming, or if it seems that you're ill-equipped for this sort of uncertain, exposed kind of life, be a little at ease here. Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you while I'm with you. The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I told you. This Holy Spirit, this friendly ghost, (laughs) ensures the Lord Jesus' very presence with us. And the way we'll know how to live, the way we'll know how to obey, everything we need will be given to us. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the best friend, will teach us everything, will remind us of everything that Jesus has said and done. To quote a line from a Wendell Berry poem, poem, what we need is here. Like That's really encouraging. We don't have to go do it or buy it or implement it. What we need is here. It's right in our midst. It's right next to us in these seats. Peter reiterates this in his second letter. He says, by By his divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own honor and glory. All the raw materials of God's faithfulness are here because God's spirit is here. That's our Pentecost message. Not anything, like it's... It's so all-encompassing, it's kind of underwhelming. (laughs) Everything we need is here. The very same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us from sin and death and isolation and unfriendliness into eternal life that starts now, that's already started. What we need is here. What we need is here to embrace this friendship, to this faithfulness of Christ that has embraced us. What we need is here to show our love for Christ by making his word our our constitution, what we live by, what we base our life on. What we need is here so that we'll invest in intimacy that mirrors and flows from the intimacy of God Father, Son, and Spirit. 
What we need is here. To participate in the way the Spirit is growing us like a garden. Gardens have bounds. Gardens aren't jungles. Gardens also experience seasons and pruning and watering. They, they trust, they rely that God is using our lives and relationships to ripen the good fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What we need is here. The Holy Spirit, that ever-present paraclete, the one called alongside us, one who guides us in all truth. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Not a copy of a copy of your presence, but your very presence in our midst. Lord, we thank you for the, the ways that your spirit comes mightily, but Lord, we, we also thank you for the ways that your spirit comes gently in, in a doggedly determined way to make us into your friend. Father, I, I pray for the relationships in this room, for the, the network of intimacy and care that each person in this building experiences in their lives. Lord, by your spirit, I, I pray your spirit just falls upon each of those relationships and makes them um, instruments and outlets of your grace and truth, but also that they might lead back to you, that all these, these many roads might lead back to you who befriends us that we might learn and discover about your faithfulness and your love of us through the faithfulness and the love of a dear friend. Father, in this next season, challenge us. Challenge us who have been, myself included, who have been coasting um, on the, the fumes of some really great friendships, but who, who aren't as available as we should be to be friends here and now. Lord, by your spirit, like you did at, at that first Pentecost, open us, open us outward so that the, the messy communication of our lives gets understood and that we might be one as, as we speak. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your grace. Uh, that we've seen in flesh and blood in Christ and for that grace that we've experienced and that we still know by your Spirit. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.